Welcome to Polycast, a civilization podcast focused on game strategy. Kanas Albinas, Makalua, the main team, Mega Bears fan. With guest co hosts. And now we will perform the stream starting ritual. <laughs> Everybody close your hands and chant. Bolalo! <laughs> That's probably more appropriate. We have co-opted another streamer's channel. I suppose I should actually introduce us now. That's that's what the list says. So, all right. I feel like every time we screw this up. So let's try it this time without screwing up. Hello, everyone. This is Polycast three hundred and forty. My name is New Earth Relic. Today I'm joined by a host, Candice Albinus. We gotta remind Phil to install Windows. This is getting out of hand. Uh, Fair enough. Makalua. <laughs> 24 hours of racing and coffee. Hello, Lamons. And the me and team. Mistakes were made. Okay. Was the so, mistake you not installing Windows? <laughs> I guess. This this worked fine last time. Yes, so it, it was it was beautiful last time. It was gorgeous. It was the most beautiful sounding recording we had in months. <laughs> and then now it's all back with the crackle. Hopefully you guys listening at home won't hear the crackle, but I have to edit it, which is why, by the way, if you're listening to the episodes and sometimes the audio quality shifts a little bit when certain people talk, it's because there's static I had to clean out and I couldn't get it to sound right. So I apologize. Well, it's, I, I it's, thought I was set for that today based on last week. It's not just you. It's been like six or seven different people over the year. So it just is just something that Skype does, which is why we are going to be abandoning Skype at some point. But one uh, minor yep. administrative show note here. You may have noticed in the last episode that the phone number segment that tells you what numbers to call were not was not present. That is because the phone numbers are no longer in service and we will not be renewing them. Because we have received a grand total of five phone calls in the entire history of the show, and I think four of them were erroneous calls in the first place. So and, that fifth and one was much, hilarious. <laughs> and as much as prior management was amused by this, it's like, eh, nobody's using it. It's money that we don't have to spend on that so we can get people better mics or something. Now for the next troll topic, which is the biggest troll in the history of Polycast. (laughs) Two days following the last recording, which was a week ago for us, Paraxis came online and said, hey, we got a big patch and here's a video all about it. So we had to wait for two weeks to discuss it live and three weeks to discuss it in recording. So this has now been dubbed the Polycast troll troll patch. So also miss the other good part about this troll, uh, Canis. They talked about it, and I have yet to see it show up on my account, so... Well, the patch hasn't come out yet. Yeah. yeah. And then to make it even trollier, last night I went to turn on my computer. Steam shows up with a Civ 6 update in the Steam download section, and it's one of those zero-bytes uh, things that it does to do something. That's you know, the... I was getting all excited. New patch! Nope. Just Steam being Steam. Believe it or not, our best source for the patch notes on this are actually in our turncast... Skype chat because there doesn't seem to be a comprehensive list of this stuff written out somewhere. Uh, At least not together. I mean, if you could somehow parse the the stuff on the forum, that would probably be pretty complete, but good luck with that. I found actually a pretty good one. It's on page six in the June 2019 patch details thread. SM Valentine lists basically everything about halfway down the page. The most annoying part is the fact that they did this big Pantheon rebalance right after we did our first first party oh, content. That was the biggest thing when we all saw that. It's like, are you joking? This is that was, baloney. That was something. Unchanged for years and then whoops <laughs> the minute we decide to talk about okay so if there's anything that really annoys you guys in Civ that hasn't changed in years tell us so we can talk about it and then they'll change it yeah oh that didn't work with the UI <laughs> okay so the overwhelming thing that happened in this patch or will be happening in this patch is that quarries, pastures and lumber mills will no longer be inferior sources of production compared to mines so they will properly give increasing production as the game progresses and lumber mills will become available on rainforests and on top of that 
On top of that, all of those extra things will become industrial zone adjacent bonuses. Is that on oh, this list? Good. Because it, it, they basically changed it to all strategic resources give a industrial zone bonus and all production tiles times 0.5 equals a. So you need two production improvements or strategic resource to get the extra hammer. To get, to get a, a production, yes. Extra cog. Yeah, that's still really good. It, it helps a lot. It actually gives you some incentive beyond what little there was previously to actually build industrial zones a bit more often because they were, after their initial nerf, a pretty weak district. And I'm sure Frax has noticed their usage rate plummeted into like very little. But yeah, so th- this was needed. Help them out a bit. They also changed it such that I don't see this part in this list, but they added late game building production to the power plants and they reduced the costs of all late game buildings and they made the specialist tiles in late game buildings produce more of their yield. Yeah, pretty much everything in the late game got a pretty big bo- uh, boost, which I was really happy to see. Yeah, you'll, you'll, you'll get through it significantly faster now. I'm guessing the game will be less of a grind, but we'll find out. But that does sound good on paper for sure. Workshop of the yeah. World got a major buff. Iron and coal mines give plus two instead of plus one. Plus 100% production to military engineers. Military engineers receive two extra charges. Buildings, when powered, give an extra two yield and plus 20% production toward industrial zones. And and harbor buildings increase strategic resource stockpiles. Mm. Well, that makes England a lot less bad. I don't know if it makes it good, but it makes it less bad. Yeah, a whole lot of bonus everything for production for those guys, which is pretty good. Yeah, and they should at least be better than civs like Georgia now. Yeah. Probably. Canada gets farms on tundra and farms on tundra hills with civil engineering. They get snow, snow hills, tundra, and tundra hills at 50% cost to purchase, plus one production on mines plus one production on mills, plus one food on camps, and plus 100% extraction rate of accumulated resources. So the good news is that they finally caught up to planes. Yeah. (laughs) It is nice, though, because now you can settle the not-tundra and then still have decent cities waiting for you, rather than subpar cities. There have been a few adjustments in the tech tree. Stirrups are now going to require apprenticeship. Chemistry will now require replaceable parts. And all texts beyond the medieval era will cost 10% more. The diplomacy victory has been changed. More points are required, but more opportunities arrive. Normal World Congress sections now grant one diplomatic victory point to every player who votes for the winning target and the winning option combination. If you've got to vote for embargoing somebody and you pick the right person and the right uh, answer, you get a victory point if you pick one or the other and not both you don't the ui now gives more hints about which target is going to be used and which option is most likely to win these scored competitions also get some points military aid request is a new option that you can do like a like a disaster request you send gold Ah. to a target sieve to defund their defense gold victory is uh, the gold Result, as in you made the best contribution, is two Diplo victory points, 100 diplomatic favor for silver, and 50 for blonde. For blonde. Bronze. (laughs) I'm having my own blonde moment this morning. Some new resolutions have been added. Espionage pack. With this, the spies act as if they're two levels higher than they normally are. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like they've so got those can, promotions, except across the board. And I'm sure it stacks with it. So you could, if you could convince the world to say, hey, let's make tech stealing super awesome, then you could just like ride on coattails, basically. It also bans operations, specific ones. Yeah. So you can oh, also tech stealing is terrible. No one should do that. You could. The military aid request sounds hilarious to me because everyone's going to send the target sip gold and then they're going to take the gold. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I please feel free to do that. I would like more free gold. Thank you. Considering the way that the aid requests have turned out so far, where the sibs will just repeatedly give you all their gold per turn. Yeah, that'll be yeah. fun. Loads then, of money. And then we have the next resolution, the military advisory. Units of a chosen promotion class gain plus five percent plus plus five combat strength or minus five combat strength. Huh. Public relations re- resolution: double grievances for in- for and interacting with target player, or half grievances for target and interacting player. Yeah, those all seem really interesting. I want to see how they play out. 
Especially the plus five to every combat strength for everything. I just um, feel like that just washes out. And- well, if it's all the units of the same promotion class. So if you're talking about knights versus pikemen or something like that, then you'd have pikemen, if they got the bonus, would not be weak to knights anymore or whatever. Time to buff planes, everybody, lol. Let's make the bombers even stronger. If I recall correctly, there was a plane edit, but I don't see it on this pseudo list. I could always like buff Arnie too with it. That'd be amusing. We have a new late game dedication, Automation Warfare. In Golden Age, you get a giant death robot in your capital, plus three uranium per turn. Uranium mines get an extra plus one per turn. And on the dark and normal ages, you get an error score every time you kill a non-barbarian with a GDR. You had me get a free GDR. <laughs> you have to get a golden age for that, though. Okay. In yeah. the late game, a little bit, e- possibly a little bit easier. I don't know. I feel like that's kind of the raffle stomp option, because if you're getting a golden age in the late game, it's probably because you've been killing people. It's pretty rare if you're actually doing military that this will make a difference, because <laughs> you probably won before you get it. But it sounds uh, amusing, at least, if you just want to screw around. I mean, that's always been the giant death robot's niche. Yeah. It's super big, it's super stompy, and by the time you get it, you should have already won. But it's good for breaking down the last of their defenses. Yeah, it's true. And it's just plain fun. It really is. Also that name. Yep. So we get new Dark Age policies as well. Flower power. All civilizations not at war receive plus 100% tourism from concerts. But all land units, except rock bands, cost 100% more. Cyber Warfare, plus 10 combat strength against units from information and future eras, but grievances against you do not decay. Mm. That sounds incredibly powerful. Yeah. (laughs) Automated Workforce, your cities get plus 20% production towards city projects, but minus 1 amenities and minus 1 loyalty per- or 5 loyalty per turn from your city- in your cities. Disinformation Campaign, plus 3 Diplo Favor- per turn for each broadcast center, but minus 10 science and culture in all cities. Two new map scripts, the Seven Seas, which is a lot of land with numerous small seas instead of big oceans. So basically just invert the continents. And then small continents, more numerous but smaller land masses. And we're going to get that world builder that was teased a while back. There's a, a alteration in great people points. Once all great people of a certain type are taken, all... Great people points still being accumulated become faith at a one-to-one ratio. I do remember that for some notes when the fret patch stuff first came out. And I was like, you know, that's actually not bad. Yeah, I'm so used to going the other way, though. Turning faith into great people. Yeah. And I just get that faith back. And that's not that much faith normally. But it at least doesn't go completely away. Uh, It's not a big deal, but it's it's like a nice little thing, I guess. I wonder if that will actually apply when you get blocked because you declined uh, someone. And then after you've declined someone, everyone else also declines them. So that person is stuck on the great person queue. I think somebody has to take it eventually. Yeah, I think if everybody right. declines it, you end up having to take it. Really? I think so. I guess I've never seen that before. I don't think yeah. it happens very often because usually the AI takes it even if it doesn't need it. Yeah, usually that's happened with some of the bad mid-game and late-game ones. No one wants it and everyone just passes, so it just becomes a huge deadlock. Yeah, I could see it maybe happening in multiplayer, but not, not single-player because the AI just takes it. I've never, I've never actually seen that happen where someone's forced to take a great person. That's interesting. I looked through most of it, and I think that was the best one I saw. So SM Valentine has another post on page fourteen, and it's notes from the live stream. And here we go: UI introdu- intro- uh, information, mini map on load game menu, subtle recommendation tooltips give reasons as to why the spot is chosen by the AI, stats on the diplomacy ribbon like a certain CQ UI mod. Gossip is now moved to the right side of the screen, collapsed to one item by default. Combat notifications are to the left of that. There's a new gossip report with filters. The Pantheon chooser is now a menu on the left so you can see the map while doing it. The production panel now defaults to use the production queue if available. The bodies of water and national parks are now labeled. There is a new lens for power. Green shows powered. No color says shows doesn't need power. And red shows needs power and not Covered. For a Pantheon rebonus, which we talked about and alluded to earlier, <sighs> Goddess of the Hunt is now plus one food and production from camps. A new Goddess of Fire, plus two faith from volcanic soil and plus two faith from geothermal fissures. Oral tradition has been entirely removed, as has Goddess of the Harvest. 
Goddess of Festivals is now plus one culture from all plantations. Fertility Rites now also gives you a new builder. Plus, uh, Religious Settlements now also gives you a free settler. Earth Goddess now gives two, plus two faith from breathtaking tiles only. And God of Craftsmen is now plus one production, plus one faith from all strategic resources. Which I, I'm going to claim mm. they picked from us, because that was what we said. <laughs> yeah, I like actually most of those changes. But yeah, it's super annoying that you go and do a bake breakdown of the Pantheons, and then they change it the week after. Yeah, it was literally <laughs> two days. Not even a week, it was just two days. Great great works of writing have been nerfed from plus four, plus four, to plus two, plus two. Which is nice, because they were so freaking overpowered. As far as the industrial zone, we already mentioned this. They get plus two for every adjacent bath, aqueduct, canal, and dam, which we didn't mention earlier. Mm. Workshop building has been buffed to plus three instead of plus two. And there's a new policy in the diplomatic slot. Music censorship. No, uh, no enemy rock bands can enter your territory, but minus one amenity from all your cities with 10 population or more. Well, it's counterplay at least. And unfortunately, they can't fit a great person for that. You could totally put Tipper there. <laughs> Give you a bonus for that. Oh. For the diplomatic victory... It now requires 20 points, and you can get either plus two or minus three from each diplomatic victory vote. The Potala Palace now gives a Diplo victory point, and the Mahabadi Temple now gives two instead of one. Statue of Liberty now gives four. All competitions give plus one. All aid requests give plus two if you win them, and military aid targets exist now i'm just happy that statue of liberty is finally usable has a purpose other than "ooh, this looks cool i think i'll build it yeah because it gave you what three settlers two settlers by a turn like 200 at that point you're just if you haven't settled it you're never going to settle it okay for units bonus abilities of previous units are no longer lost when the unit upgrades so basically no more oh look you built this unit in this place and it has a barracks, so you get a plus 25% experience modifier. Oops, you upgraded it. It no longer has that modifier. That's gone, so it now works properly. That's good. Combining... Although, so I bet it still doesn't retroactively apply barracks bonuses to stuff you built in the city previously. Probably not, but arguably it shouldn't. Yeah. Combining units into cores and armies now combine all special abilities of all units instead of just duplicating ones that exist. Rebalance which units require resources. Every type of strategic unit now can produce three different units, and there are no more than that. So you can only build, there are only three units that need iron, three that need oil, three that need horses, etc., etc. So a little bit better balance. The battering ram is no longer effective against medieval and siege, or medieval and renaissance walls, but it now upgrades to the siege tower, and the siege tower no longer works against renaissance walls. Yeah, but we, we I think we, maybe that was in the, the polycast chat that we were talking about that, that it's like... Yeah, but we kind of needed that for a while. <laughs> it's kind of ridiculous yeah. running around taking out civil civil service cities with battering rams. Well, true. I would like them to see, like, actually address the fact that siege is pretty well worthless until artillery, though. Speaking of which, movement increase for us mobile SAM, artillery, rocket, and modern AT. Whatever that means. <laughs> but those are all... <laughs> those are all already or later. <laughs> also, this is as stated by... People in the know on the stream, this is not the last patch. And the AI is getting a big um, boost, leader tweaks to make them play their own game, diplo trading, operational movement around mountains, ranged attacks versus districts, city settlement decisions, aggression, tactical maneuvers, city district defense are all being updated in the game's UI, or AI. So hopefully it'll start playing better, he said for the fifth time. Knock on wood, fingers crossed, and all that. I don't actually know if the AI got much better since the last patch, but... Yeah, AI is really tough to get right just because you need to understand the game before you can start really building a decent AI. Well, if you're changing the game every patch, the AI is going to have trouble keeping up. And it's also really tough because when you're working on it before release... You're trying to go and target a whole bunch of pre-alpha stuff that changes. So it just becomes a giant moving target to try and hit that moving target. So then you can code up. And with the lag time on trying to code up that AI, you know, you might be two, three months behind in terms of what the mechanics do. So really tough to do AI right with developing for release date. 
Also, one thing that SM Valentine did note is that they do have the patch held until it's ready for all of the platforms. So that's probably why we haven't gotten it yet. Aspire probably needs to do work with it. Oh, trying to have a unified patch out for once. Seems like it. Yeah, I can appreciate that, but I've also just been sort of waiting for it. And I got super excited because I saw, hey, Civ 6 update last night. And nope, also waiting sucks. Oh, apparently there's a lot of off-topic discussion in the thread about Dark Ages. Moderator action required. Something about the UK and Dark Ages being engineered by leaders or something. I don't know. Oh, I see. Some yeah, Politicast yeah. leaked into it, did it? Yeah. Sounds like it. Well, it's a problem trying to do anything with a contemporary-ish time. Can we just all agree that all our governments suck and they could all be better and they all suck? Pretty much. Yep, yep, yep. Doesn't matter yeah. who's leading them, they all suck anyway. That does tend to be the case, unfortunately. What's next in this thread post? There was apparently also some discussion about bringing back tall versus wide, to which we all can say, <laughs> uh, Yeah, thanks, but no. We don't need the trash brought back. So just uh, out of curiosity, is the 60s considered old enough to not be politicast? Uh, it depends on what the topic is. Uh, flower power is a dark age policy. That's, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually slightly amused by that. Yeah, it's hard to say because arguably it was a dark age for some things, but it was a great age for others. So who knows? It's it's hard to uh, to extrapolate something in the real world and put it into the game and have it make sense on all levels. That's why Civ has always been a, a history emulator as opposed to a history simulator. What was it that the one guy said years and years ago about how Civ is? totally not historical makes no sense historically and yet it's a brilliant game that uses history well i feel like that's a dan quote from somewhere it was a quote that dan got from somebody this was like 10 years ago that i heard this but yeah the idea was the the mechanics of the game are so botched compared to real life world history that Basically, you just have to understand that Civilization is a game that uses the real world to justify its mechanics rather than the real world that uses the game to justify its mechanics. That doesn't make sense. Let me try that It would again. be really odd if the real world used the game to justify right. its mechanics. It, it is a game that does not use the real world and give it mechanics. It is a game that makes mechanics and uses the real world to justify them. That's better. It doesn't even use the real world to justify them. It just uses the real world as an inspiration for the mechanics. Well, cl- quote-unquote justify okay air quote yeah. and i think that's all we're gonna get from the thread anybody else have any things that we'd like to see in this patch just more ui stuff i just say phil they had a whole bunch of ui stuff in one of those page 14 i think it was oh yeah, yeah but a lot of that is like it's it's good i'm not gonna say it's it isn't it's good to see it especially the information presentation stuff but where they've really been lacking, really since CIF 4 ended, was they're just managing the number of inputs to accomplish basic tasks. I, I see very little of that patch to patch. That's like, fair. You could, if you improve the UI in that regard, you could play through turns so, so much faster. There was actually a thread on on the uh, endgame mag that someone was complaining about. But a lot of that just comes down to if the UI were better, you would not need to give as many inputs to your cities every turn like that. You just wouldn't. You could have the cities not prompt you again, or you could automate them like you did in Civ 4, or you could have a set hotkey for what they will build, and you press that once, and it just queues up everything in the city again. Like Those are all features that used to exist in Civ outright, and no longer do for some reason. Most of that was unit management though wasn't it um a lot of, well a lot of that was unit management but there's a ton of city management stuff too like the civ 4 lets you manage cities from the city list screen and so you could sort by any yield you wanted and then put builds in each of those cities uh, based on those yields and you could even do this to multiple cities at once so if you wanted to take your top 10 best production cities and build units or uh, organize your construction of spaceship parts in each city by their production to time them to finish the same way. You can manage that all from the city list screen very easily. So it's a major convenience thing for closing out one game that just isn't there for some reason now. If I could get you into the Firaxis studio to just tell this to people, we might see change. Uh, <laughs> I doubt it because it's like I didn't mention these things years back in the Civ 5 cycle. So. Or we might get a great mugshot of Phil. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Try to avoid the mugshots, please. We don't need any more mugshots. Mine is enough. Or never mind. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> it's like we've missed a story. Is this going to be the new running joke where I make a joke that sounds like I have something to say, but I don't? Because last week it was all about the the my kid thing. Oh yeah, last week, huh? Well, two weeks ago. Whatever. Before the patch was announced. <laughs> 
I say last week because for me it was last week when I edited it. So that's that's fair. You know that that does narrow it down to roughly most of the history of the universe, right, Canis? Before the uh, announcement of the patch. Uh, so who's in charge of this segue? Because it's going nowhere. Speaking you, of, Becky. speaking of, uh, actually, that would be you. Uh, what? You have the next topic. Crap. Oh, so it is. It's the joke expansion. Jeez. Ah, uh, unannounced. Rise of the Gathered Storm. It's the third expansion. Now, Bebor made this fun post over here on Symphonatics, but uh, main feature is a new. A new map type, Pathfinding Utopia. A map with 90% mountains, no rivers, and one tile lakes only. Uh, new terrain improvement, Clickery. Available with no tech prereqs, but this terrain improvement requires more than 10 mouse clicks to complete. Because <laughs> what we all wanted was more clicking. I hear yes. Phil's rage at that one. <laughs> oh, no, that, that's a good one. That, that <laughs> properly signifies contribution to the game. Speaking of slightly politicastish, Brexit mechanics. Cities can now detach from empires regardless of loyalty pressure, but it takes them 99 turns on quick speed to flip independent. I also uh, like how uh, in the bottom he says, please avoid humor related to contemporary politics and events. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hold up, hold up. You started this. <laughs> Whoops. Also, you know what that also means, like right? Because it was so long ago. <laughs> <laughs> Brings us now a dank meme. Yay, it has been for a while. Yeah. Everyone's now in the Britern. Britern. Oh, boy. Oh, train disasters. Instead of just units, now every build in your city can automatically switch to another build without your agency on, but upon discovering a new tech. Gosh. I don't get that one. Or you, you were queued up with a certain type of unit because you were probably pre-building them for upgrades, but... Or you had something in the queue, and then when you discover the new tech, like, because you accidentally eureka it, and then suddenly it flips over to the other thing, which is going to take, like, forever to build because it's so much more production. Oh, okay. So you could do that with anything on any tech group. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Wouldn't that be the buildings and stuff as well? Oh, gosh. Yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that was actually, like, the third thing I thought of when I first read Train Disasters. Because the first thing I thought of was, like, train derailments and stuff. The second thing I thought of was actually being able to create disasters out of your cities. So you could just unleash hurricanes on people or whatever from your city. hurricanes. Uh, Yeah, new disasters. Tsunamu, a volcano that creates a tornado and a hurricane when it explodes. (laughs) Well, technically, if you think about the way the atmosphere works, a volcano exploding could eventually create a hurricane, sure. Which could spawn tornadoes. So, kind of, yes. Uh, strategic resource tweaks. Even more resources are being strategically pulled into graphics, animation, and design rather than AI and user interface. Nice. <laughs> Please no. <laughs> uh, a new golden age dedication, which is new age for the information era and beyond. Gives 20 great profits per turn and nothing else because that's so awesome in and of itself. What are you going to do with this? What was you even do? Yeah, yeah. It's like we needed more than one great profit. Can, uh, can I, I exchange them for rock bands? Uh, let me remind you of the thread this is in. I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. Let's see. The new units. Futurist. A scout unit that is unlocked by the third time you complete future text. A weak unit for exploration of uncharted territory. Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because there's this little thing called satellites. Um, well, you don't actually get the map on satellites like you did in Civ Five. You get it from the first. Right. You get it from launching a satellite. Satellite, yes. Yeah. I don't think satellites is even a tech in Civ Six. I, my brain is so used to that, but I, I'm thinking of the launch. It's, look, it still involves putting satellites up into space, yes. whether it's a tech or the actual project. But yeah, it's like, wait, yeah, I don't have anything to explore anymore. Hold up. I mean, unless there's some goodie huts left. I mean, there you go. It doesn't give you vision of the map. So maybe you have to go around and see what's going on on the map to see what's happening like in Civ 4. That's true. Like a satellite up there could tell you the shape of Africa, but it doesn't tell you, Woo! look, there's a city in Africa because you have to focus closer. Oh, let's yeah. see. Oh, Satellites oh. is a tech in Civ 6, by the way. Enables the project launch moon landing. Ah, okay. Which is, of course, completely related to satellites. Yes. Because, we're you just, know, space. Yeah, we're just going to skip the, the step before that involved Sputnik and a few other things. I was going to say, didn't America go from satellites to moon landing in less than 10 years? Or was it just over 10 years? 
I want to look that up. Less, eh, pretty close. Because I think Sputnik, when it went up, was 1959, maybe, which was Russia. So, yeah, that was a bit before that, but might be wrong. Okay, it was just over ten and a half years. Because it was January 31st, 1958, when the first ah, okay. U.S. satellite went into orbit, which was four months after Sputnik. Nick. Yes, yeah, it was a couple of years off. I, I, I was trying to remember, I was thinking, yeah, that's at the end of the 50s, but uh. oh, this next unit, though. The anti-vaxxer, it unlocks with the internet. If two or more of these units are in the same city's <laughs> territory at the same time, 25% chance of losing a population each turn. Oh, that's a little uh, too close to home right now. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no modern day topics, though. It's okay. Yeah, no modern day <laughs> topics. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 80s pop band. Unit disbands immediately after purchase. Sounds about yeah, right. Yeah, that's about Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's how the 80s, yeah. <laughs> They'd be on tour for like one year and suddenly, now nah, we're done. Okay. I'm about to say they also missed a good opportunity to go and make a Rolling Stones joke. <laughs> I think they're still uh, touring and they're like eighty something now. There's a reason they're called the Strolling Bones. <laughs> Let's see the televangelist. Hey, didn't we have this in Call to Power? Provides a bucket load of gold, needs and provides no faith. Uh, alternative source states it actually turns faith into gold. <laughs> hmm. Something to do with all those excess faith points I have for missing out on great people. Yeah. Uh, black metal band, unique unit for Norway. Gigs removes all existing stave churches anywhere. I guess this is a joke about them burning things down. Probably. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's uh, there's an interesting story uh, with a black metal band, but that's probably not for that point in time. Let's see. White metal band generates no tourism, but starts the final countdown. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wait, <laughs> I read final countdown. It's like, oh, okay, I get you. Uh, let's see, new resources. Am I right? A strategic resource that provides a negative one adjacency to campus districts, a negative one diplomatic victory point per turn, and not required for anything. Big data is a. Sh- the later what? joke was that you should be able to use Amy rights to make trolls. Is that a counter? <laughs> is that is that the counter to the GDR? Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. The big data strategic resource adds an additional trade route per node. Requires data mining. Hmm. Hmm. That one doesn't really have any backup behind it because it's never mentioned anywhere in the thread what data mining is. Or rather, what it is in this context. Yeah, when you're referring to Google keeping track or Amazon keeping track of your spending habits and then, hey, here's this related sort of vaguely item. Maybe you want this? I mean... Cryptocurrency, a new form of currency that's invisible in your UI if your graphics card doesn't have at least 8 gig of RAM. (laughs) I see what you did there. See, Obsidian, new resource found only on volcanic soil. When improved, it prevents winters from coming. (sighs) There had to be at least one. There had to be at least one. (laughs) Anybody care about spoilers anymore? At this point, it's been a... Yeah, except for the people that are just... I never even watched the show. I at least get what you're referencing, but yeah, uh, I don't care. Unit changes. Pike and shot. New moderator censored mechanics. There was a, an interesting moment in the thread where somebody turned the pike and shot into the pike and beep. It had something to do with minus 10 health across all cities, except cities that have sewers. Mm. Hmm. Let's see. Infantry now requires iron, niter, oil, aluminum, wheat, rice, cocoa, coffee, copper, cotton, dyes, tobacco, salt, sugar, and tea. Well, you know, that's basically everything that's in an MRE. So, yeah, kind of. I mean, except for the iron and niter and aluminum, but you know. You need wheat and everything. Guns. Everything from wheat onward, yes, that's what's in there. The cotton counts for the toilet paper. Biplane can be now built with military engineering. It can't fly or move, but hey, at least you get to see it. Somebody complaining you can't see it. Three new districts. The Placeholder Square, a district that provides no benefit but gives the player an impression that it's somehow worth building, replaces the encampment. Is that a, is that a snark at the encampment? Because the encampment's pretty dang useful. I think it's a snark at really expensive military programs. Oh. Yeah, I actually first thought of Tiananmen Square, but... Oh. <laughs> That's ironic, considering what yesterday was. Oh. And, and what would be banned in China if it was added to the game? Well... <laughs> Our podcast just got banned play. in China. Uh-oh. That's true. Or oh, not live, like, Nothing right? happened there a whole bunch of years ago. In the- how, how does that go? There's no war in Bossing, say? Bureaucracy Plaza, a district that costs 30% of your total gold to, to maintain, provides red tape, a new luxury resource that reduces happiness. Yeah, that sounds about right. Giant Disco, district to corral your giant dancing robots. <laughs> Cities without this district are liable to production loss due to squish. <laughs> 
New scored competitions. The Cricket World Cup. The winner is rewarded by having all the rivers simultaneously flood. Monsoon jokes. The Eurovision Song Contest. Kicked off and hosted by the first Civ to make a rock band. You send rock bands to participating nations where albums sold would be counted as the votes of the juries and tourism generated as the popular vote in the form of tourism from the country, which, ugh, wow, that... <laughs> Blah, blah, yeah, blah. this one tried way too hard. The thing is a joke about why is Australia in here, kind of. and Yeah, this one tried way too hard. Yeah, that was I, I get where they're going with that because of the things, but wow, that's a lot of stuff. I like the, the first world wonder on the list. <laughs> the giant vacuum cleaner statue. How did this one get in, the world wonders? Uh, <laughs> da, da, da. Oh, yeah. somewhere I just don't hear Dan's approval. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had to like stare at that for a moment when I first saw it. And I'm like, okay, all right, whatever. <laughs> Dad jokes. And also Dan jokes. Offshore shell company increases your empire's income by an amount that only your accountant knows. Must be built adjacent to a crab's resource. Can only be built on ocean tiles. Crabs, shells, okay. Yeah. Accountant yep. jokes. An overly ambitious colossal structure. That's really the name of it. There's no like specific name. A world wonder that you can't complete, but whenever you switch a government type, the project gets canceled and you get to salvage the production costs. That actually sounds kind of degenerate, except for the fact that it comes way too late. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that sounds like things that would already have been happening in much, much earlier eras, uh, real life and not in real life. I feel like if ever you're building a world wonder and it fails, it should become that. Ah, uh, there you go. A pseudo I, I kind of want to have like the off-brand world wonders as a possible theme. You don't get any of the bonuses, but you just at least get to have it. Yeah. You know, maybe give a oh. trivial bonus. Sort of like how technically there's a statue of Liberty and Eiffel Tower in Vegas, even if it's not the originals. <laughs> like if you ever see a picture of the Eiffel Tower at night, it's probably not actually the Eiffel Tower in, in Paris because it's illegal to do that or something. Like, it's a copyrighted image. Oh, I see. Oh, yeah, there's new policies. Outsourcing, plus 50 gold and negative 50 production in all cities. Uh, open border immigration, plus 10 production and negative 20 gold and negative one amenity. The closed border Im immigration, basically the inverse. Negative two movement outside cultural borders. All cities in your empire randomly redistribute their population every turn. Yikes. Third and final expansion. Your third settler is not cheaper and you can't wait to get it. Okay. All right. So our next topic is something that uh, we've all had to deal with at one point. It's the jump from king to emperor in difficulty. In the thread, Horizons posted that he's succeeding king most of the time and then he went and tried emperor and got killed by the difficulty spike from emperor the biggest thing that i've noticed when going to emperor is the fact that they get the second settler which is roughly infinite value early game <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes that's an exaggeration but it is a pretty significant difference i guess yeah i mean it's not quite infinite because you know half of infinite is still infinite but you don't get into weird math enough. stuff you have like the 10 turns it takes to get an extra pop plus like the 15 turns it takes to build plus the extra 10 turns to replace that pop that left as a settler so you basically get a whole 20 something turns minimum out of that free settler plus you get a second queue to double queue everything like that's a huge jump more than necessarily all the warriors since that's it starts with is yeah the starting warriors are annoying but they're not nearly like the settlers so the thing about warriors is that you can build your own warriors and just be better at military than they are and beat their warriors up. The problem is that when they get two cities and all of the benefits for having two cities, they can replenish their warriors far better than you can. But only Plus, so many warriors fit in an area. Yeah, only so many warriors fit, but after a certain point, they just have too much production. Because then they can just have one city replenishing their warrior supply if you decide to go the World War One route and just have everyone die over like this little 10-foot strip of land. No, you just sit there and let them attack you and they can't kill you. And then you just get experience until you win. Yeah, but in the meantime, they have that second city to do everything else you'd be doing normally. Even if you're sitting there and you create a good choke point they're still able to produce more and they can still keep going and making cities and oh. yeah i yeah you only need like two or three warriors to hold so like you can build a settler then plus they don't declare on you like turn zero so you can usually get a city out and i'm not talking about emperor here i'm talking about deity even that's true it sounds like it's something i should do on my next turn cast game with phil declare war on him turn negative one <laughs> 
Because I'm always war. There you go. Are are you getting the starting bonuses? Because that makes a big difference. (laughs) We'll find out, won't we? I guess we would, yes. One way or another. I don't play on Emperor, so I don't know. Yeah, a pretty good number of people in the thread have uh, talked about uh, building an army already. Uh, Egon Spengler and uh, Ezlar in back-to-back posts mentioned build a whole bunch of warriors to start. I disagree. I think you should start out. It, well, it depends on barbs. If you have barbs on and they're going to be a problem, which is probably because they're still not balanced in the early game, you probably do want to get an extra military unit out just so you can prevent easy getting scouted. That's assuming they are going to make the barbs camps actually work and spawn stuff. So assuming the game works, then you would want to prevent scouting at least as much as possible to get scouted turn four, whatever. But if you can prevent that, do it and then get a satellite going. Make it, get a second city of your own, and then build a few warriors for defense and uh, work on archery so that you can actually add range units after the war starts or before it, depending on how aggressive the AI is. And if you get somebody like Gilgamesh or Montezuma on Deity, just like toss luxuries their way, you get friendship immediately, whatever, because you, you, that you can't defend. They, they get too many military bonuses for war carts to be defensible. Uh, but for most AIs, you could hold off with like two, three warriors and the slingers upgraded and the archers pretty easily. But you do want that extra city if you can get it. You, know, you want as many cities as you can get away with, ultimately. So you do want to feel out your situation with scouting, too. The, the more AIs are there are and the closer there are, the more you'll want to go into military relative to just expanding. Because you're going to expand by military at that point. Yep. And then the thread proceeded to get derailed by talking about someone taking Divine Spark over cost of the Harvest. Oh, God, yeah. And then, Don't do uh, that. Don't do that under current rules, anyway. <laughs> to be fair, uh, I think that's actually a really good play once a patch comes out. Yeah, once the rules change, they, the considerations change too. But for now, don't do that. <laughs> yeah, also, Goss of the Harvest disappears, so probably not worth taking Goss of the Harvest anymore. Because you yeah, literally cannot. You want to pick things that exist, yes, ideally. And then it gets derailed again by some random named uh, the Mean Team talking about uh, optimal play <laughs> and the definition of optimal play. Yes. I love uh, I love this random. He does so much random crap. And see that. Where's this happening? It's at the bottom of page one and like the entirety of page two. <laughs> <laughs> also, for the record, Phil, you're right. Oh. Optimal play is optimal based on your goals. Yes, you're optimizing for something and your choices will change depending on what it is you're optimizing for. Hopefully. If you're a decent optimizer. And also what you're optimizing for based on map. Like you still have optimal play based on map. And yeah. and your your optimal play can change, but that's because your circumstances are different. Oh, well, yeah. Someone was insisting that like you have to play on a certain map type to play optimally, which just it, that's just not reality. Okay, no. <laughs> Even I know that, and I'm a lower level player. Like that's just I, a basic failure of basic game theory, right? It's a reasoning failure. You don't even need game theory. It's just a strict reasoning failure. Now, if you're trying to optimize Hall of Fame score or something, then okay, fine. But that's not what we were getting at there. But yeah, if you want to be competitive in Hall of Fame where everybody else is rerolling your starts, then you probably want to reroll your starts. It's not. It's kind of like derp. Yeah, obviously. So I think what we found out from this thread is mostly the settler is really good, and Phil is a very violent person. And don't step on Legos. Right. I'm not the one who brought up the tack example, though. I was just refuting the logic. Just saying. Even if I resemble that remark, I mean... It's true, but I also don't know the other person I know you. That's true, so it's my fault by default. Apparently. It's the best fault to have, Phil. Yeah, it's alright. I don't mind gaining some infamy. It's fun. Speaking of infamy... (sighs) Yes. I suppose. <laughs> oh boy. Third is titled, What's your opinion regarding Paraxis adopting a content model similar to Paradox Interactive? You remember that Captain Picard facepalm? That's, that's my opinion <laughs> regarding. Which one? The, the single facepalm or the double facepalm? I'll go with the single one this time. <laughs> but either is applicable, potentially. It, okay, is it the one where. Picard is doing the facepalm, and then Worf is right next to him, also doing the facepalm. Yes, sure. In Let's this do case, that yeah, one. We need, okay. as, we need as many facepalms as possible for this. Mm. I, I'm trying to trying to frame Ansu's argument here, but I, I guess more expansions and DLC would give a more dynamic approach to altering base game mechanics. But we don't need that. We, we need our in Civ Six. The base mechanics still aren't well tuned. That, that exist. And that's an even greater problem in Paradox games. In fact, Paradox games have regressed 
after some developer changes as a direct result of this model. But even worse, this model invites all, like the Paradox model invites all kinds of problems. For example, they will patch crap out of the game and sell it back to you in a different form as DLC. And that's not a one-off thing. Just in EU4 alone, this has happened five, six times at least. Uh, I can think of four examples offhand immediately. List them uh, so we can get it right. Okay, so... The first one was that you could, in the initial release, you could sell provinces to vassals and then annex your vassals. It was patched out that you could sell provinces to vassals, but then one or two patches later, they gave you the ability to grant provinces to subjects as a DLC mechanic. So then you could, again, vassal feed by giving provinces to subjects, only if you bought the DLC. So if you played the game on release, you could do the exact equivalent of that, selling provinces to subjects for zero ducat without DLC. So that's one. Another one is the introduction of the common sense patch with development. Uh, previously, you could use monarch points along with buildings to improve your provinces substantially. That was taken out and the buildings got reworked such that you were dependent on the development mechanic to get a similar effect. And at the high end of that, you could you could actually do more with development, but they were pretty similar. And I, I posted threads with screenshots showing really well-built pre-patch provinces versus developed provinces. Uh, yeah, you, you could do a little better with development, but it, it's a very similar interchange. Another one was what they did with hordes, where they gradually nerfed hordes down. All kind of, man, I, I could spend five minutes talking about the things hordes could do in the early patches that got patched out. And then they introduced the raising mechanic and basically spiked them to being the best nations in the game. So that one's a little more gray area. Ultimately, you, what you could do previously versus what you could do after it was, again, contingent on DLC. What would be a good pick for four? Republic mechanic? Um, or what about what about change province owner? Oh, transfer provinces. I don't think that that, that had um, that's an example of a problem introduced by the DLC model in that it's really important to have the gameplay functions, but it's not something they patched out and then re-added. So I would agree that that's an issue that, that again would be a good example of why Fraxis shouldn't do this because you start the development start depending on updates where you have the DLC, you just can't balance. Like if you have 20 optional DLC items, you can't assume that somebody has none or all of them and still not freeze the design. Like you have to pick basically you have to assume that they're going to have it. And that's what Paradox does. Ultimately, you can play the game without it, but it's an incomplete experience. That's not an example of them patching something out and then putting it back in with DLC. And you could make an argument with protectorates versus trade companies versus that stuff. But that, that would be pretty flimsy. Let's just go with those three. So I don't have to like brainstorm this or look up my threads. <laughs> there yeah. are more than three. This has been done at least once or twice a year since the game's release. Let me put it that way. But it's hard for me to remember all of them. It it causes a lot of player whiplash because every time you play the game, it's different. It's sort of like how Civ Five was in its first year of release, where every two months there was a huge patch that completely changed the entire way you played the game. And it was never really that much better until the, until the expansion came. And once the expansion came, and then the second expansion, it was a brilliant game. But that's not what Paradox does. They send out an expansion for about half the price of the original game. And then they send out another one six months later or three months later. And then they do another one and then another one and then another one and then another one. And each one has a varying level of quality such that sometimes you get to a point where the game is really good. Sometimes you get to a point where the game blows chunks. And what what, what would be the most polite way to say, I don't want that in a massive? Yeah, screw off with that, basically, is what I would say. And there's another major issue with this uh, with this policy, absent the whole EA practices, and that's just the staying on top of issues with the game. It is by default pretty difficult to properly balance like bug fixes and like how well the game plays anyway. Like that's not easy to do in the first place. Paradox's model makes it harder, and it doesn't help that they are incoherent when it comes to some of their patch priority things. For example, introducing a bug in MT was more important to them than the user interface telling you the accurate information about Rebels, even though you get Rebels with every nation you play. But no, they, they had to try to make one of the weaker na religions in the game weaker instead. Like, like what the heck is that? <laughs> but even aside from that, there are like the things with you can't take this province because you can't court. That's a four-year-old bug now. Uh, the game lying about coalitions. Uh, when you're declaring on a coalition, it lies that it'll be a coalition war. It lies about who will be co-belligerent. I've re-upped that bug report six, seven times over the past three, four years now. Getting broken. Uh, <laughs> needing to take a fort so you have your country broken. 
Again, that's still in the game now. That's been bug wrapped years ago. Like, where does it end? They just can't keep up with this stuff. And then they consider things that really alter the outcome of games. And yet they still put this in their low priority bin because they can't keep up with the issues with all the crap they're putting in the game. And every time they introduce new mechanics, they introduce potentials for new bugs. Just recently, they brought back infinite monarch points again because of this. There's a way to use the, the DLC mechanic with changing governments to consistently flip your estates on you can reset your estate progress and thus demand from them and as long as you have enough stability cost reductions you can tank the hit uh, to switching over and over and over again and just accrue infinite monarch points in very short time periods there's also stuff like that with like minus styles and liberty desire subjects like they, they can't keep up with the exploits anyway as they call them and they can't even identify what an exploit is consistently because they don't know I, i'm serious they don't know like they have no standard for like they always decide one thing is an exploit and the other isn't even if the one that isn't is objectively uh, more beneficial to the player to use and equally questionable by any reasonable measure it doesn't matter like they don't know so it, the game becomes a mess there's a lot of good to paradox games a lot of fun to be had with them but their dlc model is cancer and Firaxis would be horribly worse for implementing it. The only thing that I can really say that's good about Paradox DLC practices is that if you have somebody playing multiplayer, you get the host DLC no matter what. That was almost they almost had to do that because of the sheer volume of different DLCs available. But that is one thing that Firaxis could do that would be a nice gesture, especially because multiplayer is not a huge percentage of their market. So it's not like it would really hurt them that much from what I could tell. It would probably help them even. But the, right now, the compatibility is something of an issue. If one person has DLC and the other doesn't, they can't play together. And that isn't true in Paradox. You can play together there. Yeah. Can I take the counterpoint and say that I've actually really enjoyed what they've done with Stellaris and their DLC practices? Maybe, because I haven't played Stellaris. So if they're materially different from EU4, for example, or Hearts of Iron 4, or well, those two are the worst. CK2 has been more reasonable. Yeah, uh, but CK2 different has from been those two, really good. If it's different from those two, then maybe. If it's like those two, no. I'm sorry. The DLC practice is just not good. They might be able to make a good game in spite of it. There are periods of time where EU4 is quite good, for example. Yeah, 1.25 was pretty good. 1.17 was pretty good. Yeah, Eldorado patch on 1.11. Those are good patches. Like The game was in a pretty good shape in each of those patches. So it's not like the game can't be good. But I don't think it's because of the DLC model in those cases. I think it's because the developers made good, good choices during those patch cycles. Yeah, I think that's actually the most cogent point out of all of that is it's not so much about how you do your development and release. It's so much, it's more about doing good decisions in the first place. Just because if you release like for access with big expansions or you have small releases like Paradox, if your developers aren't making good decisions, neither of those two models is going to save bad decisions. Yeah, that's true. So that's that's really what it comes down to. For me, I really actually like Stellaris because they've done a lot of work to go and make the base game mechanically the same. And then all of the DLCs and expansions and stuff give you extra choices on top of the base game. So you have the same core mechanics, regardless of whether or not you buy the DLCs. So you're not locked out of stuff, but you get extra stuff for going with the DLCs. That's, That's more good. of the Sims model. Yeah, yeah, kind of, except in, yeah, Sims model is kind of appropriate, I guess. But the other the other issue is that Solaris is also, what, a two-year-old game compared to EU4, which is a six-year-old game. So we don't know what the eventual end of that cycle is going to be for either of those games. But I highly doubt that it'll be good for EU4 and Stellaris. I can't predict because I haven't played it either, but I don't have my hopes high. Yeah, so what happens is that you get a huge bonus to everything that you do. And if you don't win the game in 50 years, your empire blows up. <laughs> also, in case you're wondering, that's a Stellaris joke. That's one of the options that you can choose in uh, one of the Ascension paths. And it has a big red, uh, do not do this. This is your last warning. Are you really sure? dialogue it sounds sort of like the luciferium in Ram world so luciferium can be dealt with yeah well luciferium is actually an amazing uh, thing to use if you use it to its potential yeah i did a uh, run with uh, getting the end of the cycle and the bonus is really good just having your empire reset to one world that's not in your current population kind of hurts <laughs> yeah Especially because that ha has to basically happen late game. So every other empire is like, we have, you know, reasonable stuff. And you're like, hey, cool. I went and blew up all of you, but I didn't kill all of you. So 
you know, now you can start rebuilding. And there's an evil alien monster that's coming to kill all other life in the galaxy running around. Nom. So, yeah. It's a bad time. And at this point with EU4, if you wanted to start from scratch and you wanted to be up to what the current thing was with all the different expansions, isn't it something like close to $1,000? No, but it's pretty high. Somebody's pricing that out one time, and I don't know if that was an exaggeration, but it's it's like crazy. The base game is $39.99, and if you take all the DLC and add it up together... It comes to $361.72. Where did that other cut figure come from, though? Probably some other game. Like There are a lot of other games that do similar things. Train Simulator being the most notable. Ah, uh, maybe that's what it was. But it was, yeah. But still, that that's a lot of money to get into a game that is... Well, it, you know, just from playing it from when it was in the original, it was only when it, with a few expansions added. It was already, to me, complicated. And I, I have more fun watching other people play it at this point. You know, I understand the base mechanics of it so I can follow along, but there's just so much that's going on and so much you have to keep track of that my brain just kind of goes, nope, can't process. Yeah, it certainly is a complex game, but that's part of its straw too. So I'm not going to criticize it for that, but I, I will criticize oh, yeah. the DLC and that what it's had, the impact it's had on the quality of the game, especially when it comes to what bugs get fixed versus don't. Like, Paradox cares a lot more about patching out an exploit than they do about the the games not having bugs. Like, to them, an exploit is a bigger deal. And it doesn't matter that the former is a lot more rare than the bug. Like, that only a handful of elite players can use the exploit or are even aware of it. No, that that's still... A, like, they have to get rid of that now. Even though they don't care that the game will lie about, like, who's going to be in the war. When you declare a war. And I, I don't mean lie. Like, I'm not using the word lie lightly here. I, the game will seriously tell you this will happen and then it doesn't happen. Like, yeah, that's I, thing. I've, se- I've seen that in the watching that it says these three nations are going to come in and then like only one does or then other ones or you trigger the coalition when it says it weren't, you weren't going to trigger the coalition. I've seen that one too happen. I'm like, whoa, because at least when it's Civ. It's the, I mean, the diplomacy is nowhere near as complicated, but I know if I go to war with X person, I'm not likely to bring in half the world on me unless I've been piling up a massive pile of grievances. Yeah. Well, less like Civ often has incomplete information, but it's far less common to see Civ's user interface straight up tell you something false. It's yeah. happened. Uh, I remember distinctly in Civ 5, it was one of the first times I like save scummed. Because the the game said I'd do a ranged attack with my siege unit, and then I just moved towards the enemy and didn't attack at all. I'm like, okay, well that that's not all right. But for the most part, like that's much more rare in Civ than it is in Paradox games, even in CK2, which is easily their best title when it comes to this stuff. I've had the game, I've had an ally declare war on me while allied, and if you ask like even elite players in the forum, okay, under what circumstances can an ally declare on you? They don't know. Because that shouldn't be allowed, but there are cases where it is allowed, and there's no reason you would be able to anticipate that in advance in the game. Or the the collection of screenshots you have where you try to where you post it and say, "Can you tell me what the AI is allowed to do with the with its units in this oh. tag?" Like, oh yeah, with the forts. My gosh, yeah, that was a great thread on that. <laughs> Yeah, I just posted a, a screenshot of my units moving from one province to another, ignoring Fort Zone of Control. And I'm like, okay, so what happens if I were to stop my units moving right now? What happens if I let my units continue move? Where would they be allowed to move if, from the current province versus other provinces? And and it actually matters whether or not my ships are in, in the sea zone next to it as well. But that only matters if my units were on the ship. Otherwise, it doesn't matter. Like, what the heck? So the fact of the matter is because of the convoluted game rules, it was impossible using just a, just a, a picture of the screen to tell me where my units would be allowed to move. Like there's there's nobody in the world who could do it because it's contingent on information the game does not provide. Uh, you would have to have known what I did previously. pass that on to the next episode which will not be a problem this time because it's not about a patch that we don't know is coming (laughs) so even though we have talked about this this the pseudo topic that we wanted to talk about for like three shows now it was a topic about a patch that we wanted and we got a patch before we could talk about it so i don't know i'm sure that by the time you hear (laughs) this it will the patch will have already been out for probably half a week and you won't be able to hear about us talk about it until two weeks from now, unless you listen to us live, 
which currently nobody is. So... Alright, outro time? Outro time. Alright. Boshy time. No. <laughs> Don't need the Boshy. Alright, so this was Polycast number 340. My name is Numeroth Relic, and I have the patch being released Monday afternoon, the 17th, in my uh, pool. I was joined by regular co-hosts, the Mean Team. All quality, all the time. Makalua. But what about quantity? Don't you want, like, masses of troops? It's a quality of its own. Canis Albinus. I'm going to go with naval. <laughs> naval gazing? What? No, naval ideas. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, the worst idea group in the game, roughly. Sort of. Depending. date June 15th 2019 Civilization 4 5 Beyond Earth and 6 Sound Clips copyright Take 2 Interactive copyright the polycast at the polycast.net